Blessing days bring many cares. Fear not, I hear him say. And when my fears are turned to prayers, the burdens your own way. 
Jason, do me a favor, and yeah, that'll help. I get distracted enough in my in my years. The announcements going on the back flashing at me. All right, Psalm 27 this morning, and uh, I want to stay with me because I'm going to start out, and you're going to say, "No, wait a minute, Pastor," because your mind is going to be going in a different direction. Uh, but we'll bring it all together and move on from there, okay? So just hang with me. Psalm 27, and we'll start in verse 1. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is the light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies, and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Uh, though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that will I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the times in the time of trouble he shall hide me in the pavilion in the secret. Of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I uh, utter in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. Or excuse me, offer. I will sing, yea, I will sing praise unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me when thou saidest. Uh, seek ye my face, my heart shall uh, said unto me, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast, hast been my help, leave me not. Neither forsake me, O God, of my salvation. One more verse. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. I want to... I want to take from this, this thought, verse 9 and 10, is, uh, is the verses I want us to focus on here today. Notice in verse 9, he says, leave me not, forsake me, uh, neither forsake me. I want to preach on why did he leave? Now in God's word, he says he'll never leave us or forsake us. But throughout the scripture, there are places in the Bible where God left. And God forsook. And sometimes that's puzzling to us at different times of our life. But uh, here the psalmist is saying, God, don't leave me. Don't leave me alone. And I want to preach today on why did he leave? Why are there times that God leaves us? Let's pray. Father, help us as we approach this text this morning. Bless your people, Lord, with the knowledge of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you take away all distraction. Help me, Lord, to preach with authority and power and clearness of mind and thought. And Lord, I pray that you'd arrest all of our hearts today to pay attention to what God has to say to us through his word and through his Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here in this psalm, verse 9 is the starting place 
for some rich thought today, if, if you will uh, stay with me here. He, he says, God, don't leave me, leave me not. What a wonderful promise in God's word that he says to us in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, for he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That verse has comforted me many times when I felt alone, and no doubt you as well. Times where you uh, wonder, where's God in all this? And then you felt his presence. You heard his voice speak to you in your time of trouble. Uh, there may be some frustration in your life or some sorrow of heart or some uh, stress that you are going through. And you remembered that, well, God said he'd never leave me nor forsake thee. Well, we're promised that. In Psalm 37, 20, uh, 32 and verse 33, the Bible says, The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Psalm 141, verse 8 says, But mine eye are unto thee, O Lord, or God our Lord. In thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. David cries out in Psalm 51 and verse 11, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thine Holy Spirit from me. Now, what David's asking there, he's begging God, don't take the Holy Spirit from me. Now, you remember the Old Testament economy, they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon certain individuals when the Holy Spirit felt like coming upon them. Uh, Samson needed strength and the Spirit of God came upon him. Many of the characters in the Bible would have to do something and God would give them uh, all the strength that they needed or the awareness that they needed or the wisdom that they needed and that was God coming upon them. But we are New Testament believers. We trusted Christ and the Word of God tells us that the Holy Spirit now abides in us. He lives in us, so he's present with us. So when David said, take not thine Holy Spirit from me, he was saying, Lord, you've given me this, don't, don't leave me, don't, don't take away, don't, don't remove yourself from me. We as New Testament Christians, we have the abiding Holy Spirit. But sometimes we grieve him, and we quench him, and we don't sense his presence as we ought to. We don't tap into the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as much as we should. But what really what God is saying here in these verses that we read this morning, don't leave me alone to myself, God. In Psalm 27, the psalmist is saying, don't leave me to myself. Don't leave me to my enemies. Oh, God, don't leave me. Now, you know, I remember raising up our children. And I remember at different times, not by not trying to be mean, but I left a few of my kids on occasion where I shouldn't have left them. I remember one time I left Joseph somewhere and felt so bad as a dad. I turned around, got him, you know, and he was okay. But I remember one time I left Tricia. And we were pastoring a little church out in the country. And when, after church on Sunday night in, in the country, in the fall or winter, it got dark fast and it got dark. And at that time, we had been talking in, 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 in that area that we pastored. There was a pack of dogs going around that was killing sheep and livestock and it was a real problem and the hunters uh, hunters and the farmers would go out and try to uh, try to shoot these dogs they were wild dogs they'd done a lot of damage and it's just about that time we had a meeting I think Ron Cockrum had been to our church and afterward people talked to him and I wanted to get him home and have something to eat and fellowship invited some other people over and so unbeknownst to me and my wife we got everybody in the car and we got about halfway home and then I remembered hey so I think my wife said where's Tricia well, we left Trisha on the front step of that church. And we came back and she was just crying. 
I felt like the worst father on the face of the earth. And she, Daddy, don't leave me. Don't leave me. We went to the, uh, I think it was another year, we went, she was still little, she was probably five or six years old. And we went to the Apple Festival in Kendallville, and, and sure enough, we were, my wife's brother was visiting, we got all taken up with seeing the next thing and the next thing, and we left her. And uh, couldn't find her, and went, and we heard an announcement, would Miss Stephen Brown please come to the such and such a desk? I wanted to, Sarah, she's up there sitting on that little, uh, that little counter, and she's crying again. <laughs> That's why Trisha's the way she is today, you understand. We, we left her several times. Oh, Dad, don't leave me, don't leave me. Hey, isn't there times in your life where you feel like, God, don't leave me. I need you, Lord. I need to hear from you. I need to know what you're doing, God. Amen? We have an enemy. The Bible talks here in the Psalms about the enemies here. And here, the psalmist is saying, don't leave me alone. Don't leave me to myself. Don't leave me to my enemies. And, of course, we know we have three major enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're all against us as we journey down here. But in Psalm 27 this morning, there's a natural outline that is given to us. I could have preached this outline, but I'll just mention it. I want to get somewhere else. But the first thing he says in Psalm 27, verse 1, as we see salvation and strength comes to us from the Lord. It, Unto thee will I cry, O Lord. Uh, no, that's not it. Verse, 20, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, and whom shall I be afraid? So salvation is a gift from the Lord. He says, don't leave me, uh, help me among my enemies, in verse 2 and 3 and 5 here in Psalm 27. Don't leave me because of the you're the source of all my joy. He mentions the joy that he got in verse 6. Don't leave me because uh, you're the one that I need to call on and get answers from. You ever have that where you just have so many answers or so many questions and then yeah, you're looking for answers? Verse 7 and 8. Don't leave me because you're the only one that I have at times. Uh, sometimes in life there are lonely spots. And we need the Lord. Verse 10. He says, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. That's a, that's a precious promise. Don't leave me because of my enemies again. Verse 11 and 12. Don't leave me because you're the source of my courage. In Psalm 27 verse 13. I had, fainted, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We need courage at times in our Christian walk. But the question I have this morning for all of us is, why does God leave? If he promised that he'll not leave, then why does he leave? Is he, is he playing games with us? Is he, is he messing with our minds, our, our, our hearts? No, no, no. There are times, though, that God does leave us throughout the scriptures. Many different accounts why God left his people at certain times and certain circumstances. Go to Song of Solomon, if you would, with me this morning, chapter 5. Song of Solomon. Uh, there's a love story here in the Song of Solomon. And there's, uh, it's a picture of, of Jehovah God... And it's a picture of, of uh, Israel. Now, in the Old Testament, Israel is called the wife of God. In the New Testament, we learn of the church. The church is the bride of Christ. 
And it's speaking about a relationship here as a, as a husband and a wife. The Song of Solomon, chapter 5, look at verse 1, if you would. The Bible says, I am coming to my garden, my sister, my spouse. See that? They're married. I have gathered my mirth and my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink ye. Drink abundantly, O beloved. I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. I have put off my coat, she says. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? My beloved put his hand on the hole, uh, by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with mirth, and my fingers with the smell, uh, sweet-smelling mirth upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone, and my soul faileth. When he spake, I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. Now here's a love story, and uh, the, the, the husband comes home, and he, he's waiting for his wife, but uh, she's not been looking for him. She's not ready for him. She's distant from him. And uh, he knocks, but she does not answer. He says he puts mirth by the handle of the door. Back in that day, they would have a hole by the door, and uh, that would way you would unlock it uh, through that hole. But he reached in. He, he showed his presence by knocking. She didn't answer. And he, he, he left some perfumed mirth there to show that he had been there. And she, she smelled that aroma of his presence. And she went, and when she got to the door and she opened it, he wasn't there. So why did he withdraw himself? Well, I submit to you that he felt that he wasn't wanted. And what a picture here sometimes of us as Christians. The Lord tries to reach out to us and reach out to us, and we don't have time. I, 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 I'm ready for bed. I have to put on my coat. I'll have to, you know, we make up all the excuses why we're not close to the Lord as we ought to be. But he keeps coming. And he wants to be in our presence. He wants to be the lover of our soul. Amen. And here's what this situation shows us, is when the lover took for granted the love of her life. She assumed that he would always be around, he would always be available, he would always be accessible to her. But we do that with our own mates. If you've been married, you know. You take for granted one another. Israel did this to Jehovah, their God. The wife of God did this to Jehovah. The church does this with Christ. We take for granted what we have. Sometimes in a local church, we take for granted of the good church and the fellowship of the saints that we have. We take it for granted. This morning up in the young couples class, I had one of the men pray, and he prayed and talked about how good God had been and the blessings of God in his life. And You know, we get so blessed, we take it, we take it for granted without being truly thankful for God's blessings in our lives. Now here, the Song of Solomon is speaking of Israel, the close communion that she had with God at one time, and all of a sudden he's gone. He's departed. He cannot be found. And if you read the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, you'll go on in the story, and she searches for him in the streets. And here's what she has. Have you seen my lovers, she'll say to people. And there's no answer. When God withdraws himself, 
Even though God has said, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee, there are going to be times that he withdraws himself. And, and, and here, the context we have here is that we didn't care. We weren't looking for him. We weren't ready for him. We kind of took for granted that he would just be there when we wanted him. I remember old Jack Parchman used to say, God is not your glorified bellhop. You can't just ring the bell and he come running. I like that old preacher statement. And we treat God that way. You know, God be in your place and I'm handling my life and then all of a sudden I got some problem in my life. And, Where are you, Lord? Ding, 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 ding. Come on, come on. You can't treat God that way. And expect him to stick around. Amen. I can understand why God withdraws himself from his people at certain times. I see it in the scriptures. Look at Genesis chapter 6, if you would, this morning. Genesis chapter 6. Way back the beginning of the book. And take a look at verse 3 this morning. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. The Bible says, And the Lord said... My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also his flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. I understand here why uh, the Lord left Noah and, the, and mankind in the days of Noah to their destruction. If you read the story of, of Noah, you understand the heart of Israel. The Bible says in Genesis 6 that the earth was filled with violence. I understand why God left the children of Israel, because they would not leave their sin. And God had warned, and God had spoken to them. Uh, they took a rather casual approach about their sin, about their hard heart, about their distance from their God. And they, they thought it was not a big deal. It's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Sometimes we do that. We, we're cold of heart. We're indifferent. We're not where we once were. We're not where he wants us to be. We withdraw ourselves from God and we expect him to cozy up to us whenever we want him to. It's no big deal. Well, it is to him. If we're reading our Bible, he wants, he wants an, a relationship with us. We talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but we take him or leave him whenever we want to. And we just say, well, you know, he said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. Now, wait a minute. Read your Bible, because sometimes he leaves. Sometimes he departs. Sometimes he withdraws. Look at Isaiah chapter 1, if you would. Isaiah chapter 1. And I, I, I don't think I need to apologize for us using our Bible this morning. I hope you don't feel that way. So I just like going to church and having the preacher uh, read the Bible, and, and uh, I'd just rather sit back and relax. Well, you know what? Uh, I like to use the Scriptures. They do a lot better talking than I do. In Isaiah chapter 1, I want you to see this in verse 8. Isaiah 1 in verse 8 and the daughters of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Now, I'm not going to use this three-point note here. I want to get to that last part, as a besieged city. You know, you read in your Bible, there are besieged cities, and they're surrounded by the enemy and trying to wait out someone. And... Uh, you think of the different texts in the Old Testament where a besieged city was desolate. 
You remember those lepers that came in and they thought they were going to die. And they said, well, we're going to die if we don't get food. We'll stay out here. We're going to die if we go into the Samaritans. They went in and there was nobody. It was empty. They went in there and found tents, all kinds of food and drink and garments. And they had them a good old leper party, you know. They, they were just rejoicing. But they said, we do not well. They had news to tell and share, help from people that were in the same condition. But the city was empty. It was desolate because it was besieged. God had done them, done that for them and for the house of Israel. But God is talking about how desperate things can get, how, how godless things can become. Understand why he left Israel after their rejections of his son. I see this happen in the body of Christ. I see it happen to Christians that have been walking with God for some time and something will happen in their life that will surprise them or take them, uh, uh, take them to uh, places they don't want to go in their heart, in their life. Some feel loneliness. Some feel that God has departed. Some feel God has treated them wrongly. And although they have walked with God a long time, they begin to think wrongly. And they begin to draw away from God, rather toward God. That's a, that's a terrible place to get, a desolate place. In Psalm 23 and verse 28, God is speaking to Israel again. He's trying to draw them unto himself as their savior. And the Bible says, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. See, he came to the lost sheep of Israel, but they rejected him. And then after a while, Israel just thought that God had forgotten about them. And so they, they used it as an excuse why they were in the heart condition they were in. And sometimes in the Christian life, we do the same to God. Again, we want him when we want him. We want him when we need him. But him needing us, we don't even think about it. Him desiring to be with us, we, we don't even give it a thought. Now, the world, the lost world, they think that they can spur God's son and reject the offer of God in grace and mercy and get away with it, but they can't. And, you know, it's because of their lost condition, but to, this morning I'm speaking to God's people. And God's wanting to be very present in our lives. God's wanting to be real in our lives. God's wanting to share our life with us. But often we relegate God to just a certain place. Stay there, God, until I need you. Right? In our hearts, there are rooms that we say, God, you can't go in there. That's reserved for me. Lord, I'll, I'll give you my life to a point. I'll give you my heart. But you're not going over here and you're not going in there. And then we wonder why God withdraws himself. He pleads and he offers and he calls and he invites. But mankind in general, they reject God. They refuse him. They resist him. But sometimes we as Christians do the same thing to our God. When he's been so good to us. You know, we need to read our Bible. So, well, God said he'll never leave us or forsake us. And we stay there and we claim that promise. But we only claim that promise for our good and our benefit. What about God? What does he think? How does he feel? You know what he says to the lost world that keeps rejecting him? Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 26. They rejected him 
they've relegated him to certain part of their heart or life, if, if they do that. And here's what he said to him: I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you. See, he keeps offering to this lost world his salvation, his grace, his mercy. He's long-suffering to them. And their attitude is, well, when I get around to it, I'll get around to it. And God said, no, wait a minute. You can't treat me that way. And he says, this, I will laugh at you. I will mock you when your fear cometh. Wow. I don't know if there's not someone here this morning. You're, you're lost. You've never been born again, and you know it. The Holy Spirit has tried to deal with you, and you, you just have not repented of your sins and trusted Christ as your Savior. You play church all you want, but God knows. And one of these days, he's going to withdraw, and he may never return. I remember years ago being in a meeting. A preacher was talking about an old fashion tent meeting and uh, this a man from the community had come to that meeting everybody was surprised that he showed up they didn't think he would and he come under that tent and was hearing the preaching that night he came the first night he was convicted of his sin he knew he was lost but he didn't come forward at the invitation he came the next night same thing he came another night and God dealt with him again about his lost condition he shook in the pew he he trembled at the preaching of God's word. God pressed upon him the need to be saved, but he didn't and he wouldn't. He said to a man years later, he felt conviction that night like he had never felt it before. But he had this thought, I'll do it when I feel like it, was the comment. A few nights were left of that meeting. He came to those nights, but there was no conviction. He felt nothing. As the meeting closed, he did not respond to God. He never returned to church the rest of the year. He never received Christ as his Savior. A year passed till the meeting came around again, much like our tent meeting comes every July. He never felt the same feeling of urgency in his soul for that whole week of meetings. And year by year, the preacher said that old man would come into the tent, usually one night of the meeting, and he would sit and listen. But he said, I've never felt that conviction like I did during that first meeting. And the preacher said, you know, he came for a while and then we never seen him again. Now most likely that man died without Christ as Savior. And he came back for a little while because God, he, he felt something, he sensed something. He, he had conviction for a little while, but he would not respond to God. Now listen, if that's you and God's dealing with you, about your soul, you better respond. You don't know when God says, okay, I'll withdraw myself, I'll leave, I, I won't bother you anymore. Yes, sir. And sometimes as Christian people, we need to wake up. God tries to reach out to us in our coldness and in our indifference and in our hard-heartedness, and we think that God's always going to be there. When I get around to this, when I want to serve God, when I want to make salvation real, when I want to serve the Lord, it'll be in my terms and my time, you better pay attention. Because there are times where God withdraws himself. And you don't tell him, hey, hey, ding, 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 show up. We need to take God more seriously. Friend, don't take God's offers and overtures toward you haphazardly. Don't think that he's just going to come when you want him to come. Because that's not in the book.
Second of all, go to 2 Corinthians this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And take a look at verse 9. I want to mention this verse. I know from Scripture why he left heaven the first time. I know from the Scripture why he left heaven the first time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, it says these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. He came to obey the Father. He came to be the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Christ came to become sin for me. He knew no sin, but he came for me that I might know him as Savior. He came to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Did you hear that? The sins of the world. 1 John 1, uh, 2, 2 says, He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So, so why is not the whole world saved? Because man has this thing called free will. Again, God offers, God prepares, God delivered his own son to death to be the sacrifice for our sin. But what does man do? Man says, no, 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 no. I don't want it. Or I don't want it now. I'll wait till a more convenient season. But that doesn't always come. Because God withdraws. I don't know when that is. But God has made it available. He is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation, it means a covering. It has to do with atonement. It's a blood sacrifice. Back in the Old Testament, they had the old tabernacle, and they had within it, uh, the, where the priests lived and where they ministered, but there was a curtain that separated the, the place where God would meet and where the people would serve, and, and there would be this veil. One time a year, the high priest would go behind the veil, and he would go in there and make atonement for the sins of all of Israel one time a year. And he'd go in there and there would be the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the, the lid, if you would, to a box. In that box were several things. Aaron's rod that budded was the commandments. And, and uh, there was uh, the, 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 the manna. And all those were a reminder of the sin of Israel. But then it was covered as if God didn't see it. But it was still there. But one time as the priest would go behind the veil and take the blood of an innocent lamb. He'd take that blood with a hyssop. And he'd sprinkle the blood on top of that mercy seat. And that blood was an atonement. It was a covering. It was a, it was, it was a mercy seat, if you would. Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. He shed his blood. He went up to very heaven. And made atonement for all our sins. So it was opportunity. It's available. But so many times the sinner says, no thank you. The sinner says, I'll wait. I know it's there. I'll get it one of these days. You don't know that. And sometimes as God's people, we act like lost people in the sense that God wants to help us with our sins that we commit after we're saved. Thank God for the blood of Christ that's still effectual today. If we will use and take benefit of it. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know all those Old Testament sacrifices, they'd bring a lamb out, they'd have the turtle dove, they'd have the different sacrifices. They'd take the blood and sprinkle it, and it would be atonement, but it was temporary. It had to be done again and again and again. Christ died on the cross and he shed his blood for a forever atonement for those who would take advantage of it. Advantage of it. We said, praise the Lord, I'm saved. I can never lose myself. That's great, but what kind of Christian life are you living? How much yieldingness is in your heart? Are you willing to obey God? Are you willing to sell out? Are you willing to serve God? You need the blood of Christ in your life every day, but so often we don't care. We just don't care. And we think, well, God will always be around for me. You don't know that. I thank God for the high priestly ministry of Christ in my life, but I never want to take it lightly. I never want to assume, well, it's not that big a deal. When I really want to do business with God, it'll happen. You don't know that. I remember, how many of you remember the book Sheffy, Peter Cartwright, circuit ride Methodist preacher? There was a movie adaption called Sheffy they made of him and and uh, Sheffy would go and preach in different communities. And uh, there was one part of that, that book that uh, there was a woman, very rich woman in, in, the, in, the, uh, in that community. She had all the money and prestige palace she lived in. She had the finest of everything. And she would come and, uh, to the meeting where, where Sheffy would preach. And, and she'd be under conviction, much like this man I described to you. But she'd always reject salvation. And Sheffy began to pray for her and pray for her. Several years went by and that woman would not respond to the gospel. She would not be saved. Years later, Peter Cartwright was dying. But he still had message sent to her that he cared for her soul and wanted her to be saved. He felt an urgency for her to be saved, but she would not respond. She came to one more meeting that was preached and she did not respond. And then she heard of his death. He died and he was buried. Thousands of people came to hear, to honor that old preacher that had been so faithful in those mountains, preaching in that community. And they all came by, you know how they do at, at, at death, sometimes in the old way, they'd take dirt and they'd throw it on a casket. And they'd say something to God or to that individual and walk on by. And everybody had left. One person remained behind. It was that lady that for years he tried to win. He tried to speak to her. He showed her the urgency of her. And uh, the, the book talks and the movie shows that when she went, she didn't throw dirt. She threw a white rose on top of that casket that landed there and lay there and she walked away. And that was saying she finally surrendered. White, she waved the white flag. She surrendered her heart to Jesus Christ. Now, we all assume, we all assume that we're going to have time like that. Oh, you can wait as long as you want to to get saved. Hey, you can wait as long as you want to, Christian, to sell out for God, to serve God, to get right with God. You think you can wait. You better throw the white rose down today. You better listen to God. We don't know about tomorrow. We just live from day to day. Amen. We don't borrow from its sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I know another reason why God left. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. Stay with me, I'm almost done. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, the Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. I know from the word of God why, the, why he left his son to die on the cross. This is God the Father. Jesus hung on the cross and he said these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Wait a minute, I didn't think God would forsake. Oh yeah, God the Father forsook his own son. For what purpose? For me, for you. I know why he left to die alone. It was for me. I don't know, maybe there's someone here. Has it ever dawned on you that Jesus died for you? For you personally? Well, I don't feel that I'm worthy of that. It doesn't make a difference. He thought you were. You're worth the world. Will a man give exchange of his, his soul? You can give the whole world and end up losing your soul. That's how much he cares for you. He decided that his son would face the condemnation of all mankind. He decided that his son would become sin for us who knew no sin. He decided that you were worth it. That I was worth it. I know why he left his disciples after the resurrection. See, these are all texts that show us when Christ, when God withdrew himself. Why would he do that? Look over at Luke 24 in verse 6. Luke 24 and verse 6. The disciples enjoyed fellowship with the Lord. He would tell them that he was going to leave them, but they, they weren't paying attention. They weren't listening. What did they think? I, I think in their heart they thought that he was going to be with them. He was never going to leave them. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 6, the Bible says, He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he had spake unto you when he was yet with you in Galilee. This is the resurrection scene. This is when they went down to the tomb to help prepare his body. And when they got there, he wasn't there. And the ladies, uh, the women told the other disciples. And they came running and looking for the Lord. It's about his passion on the cross. It's about his burial. And uh, he departed. Why did he depart? He departed that he might reveal himself as the true Lord and Savior of their life. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them unto the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That's why Jesus died. But they couldn't find him after his resurrection. Remember the two on the road to Emmaus, how sad they were? They thought it was all over. They had hoped that he would set up his kingdom, and the Lord draws near to them. They didn't recognize him. And after they had talked and walked for a while, he began to quote scripture back at them. And they said, don't leave us, stay with us. And they, we're going to have a meal. And the Bible said that when he broke the bread, <laughs> they knew who he was. And then he was gone. He was gone from them. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us as we walked by the way? As he broke the word of God and shared it with them? But there was a time that he was gone. You know, 
I don't know if that will be a revelation to somebody today as the word of God has been read and preached today that you'll just awaken to the thought, hey, the Lord's been here today. You know, there's certain times you have church and there's certain times you have church. There's certain times, and it's different for everybody. I always find it not amusing, but interesting how the Lord could preach to a congregation of people, and many of them would not even get a thing. But somebody would just be so blessed or so broken. It's how you hear. That's why he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Wake up and hear what he's trying to say to you today. Some people go to church and say, well, that wasn't much. Boy, he, he, wasn't, he must not studied very much this week. Others say, that's the best sermon I think the pastor ever preached. How can that happen? How can it be in the same service some people are shouting and carrying on and coming to the altar and weeping at a song? At a, at a message? At invitation time? While others sit there so stoic like they're never going to move and often they don't? How many services, listen, wake up, Christian. How many services are going to pass you by where other people are helped and blessed? Other people cry out to God. Other people ask God to present himself. Other people say, make yourself real in my life. See, there's an urgency, a want to. Why is it that you never want to? Why is it the message never speaks to your heart? How is it you can sleep during not just a service, most services? You know why? You're counting on God to be with you when you get around to needing him. It doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. Who are we? Who are we to tell God when I get around to it? We're talking about the sovereign God. We're talking about the creator God. We're talking about the, the God who came and lived in flesh for our reason, for our purpose. For our blessing, for our salvation. How can we just put them off and then one day we say, well, I don't feel God. I don't sense God. God's not here. You don't know. You're not right with God. I'm glad he came. I'm glad I still feel him. I'm glad I still sense him. I'm glad he still breaks my heart. I'm, I'm glad he still rebukes me. I'm glad he still speaks to me. I'm glad he shows up here every once in a while. Amen. Some of you have no idea. You can go to churches. You never, God never moves. God never shows up. Nothing ever happens. No one ever gets right. No one ever gets saved. You ought to thank God every once in a while. The presence of God blows through this church. But when I say that, some don't even care. But I'll give you a blessing here. To go with. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. I know why he's leaving heaven one day. And he'll be back in just a few days. Amen. I love it when he shows up in church. But listen, I'm looking for the day when he shows up, shows up. He shows up. He shows up and we go. But I know why he does. He's departed. He left his disciples there. They couldn't find him. And you know what? He, on that mountain one day, 50 days after his resurrection, he blessed them. And as, as he was standing in their midst, just like the other texts show, he's there and then he's gone. They saw him go up and the angel said, Why stand you here gazing at heaven? This same Jesus would give He's coming in like manner. And we've been waiting for that. Why has he been gone so long? I don't know. But I know this, he's coming again. Yeah. 
I know why he left. I know why he's coming back. Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 5. We're going to finish here. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, verse 6, hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7, behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they, shall also which, and they also which pierced him, and all his kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I don't have time this morning, but I'm, I'm thinking of a king named King Hezekiah. He was known as Good King Hezekiah. He was one of the great kings of Judah. He was a good man and a good king. He had opened the house of God again when it had been shut up and people didn't care about God in that day. He repaired the house of God. He restored worship to all Israel. He kept the Passover, reminding Israel of their redemption from Egypt's bondage. He added seven more days to the Passover so that the people could see the greatness of God and rejoice in their God. He, he built places to take up the offerings of God. It was a time of great blessing. He trusted for God to defeat one of their great en enemies, Sennacherib. But at that time, he got sick. He fell ill. And he was visited by God after a prayer went up. He laid on his bed and he cried out, God, I don't want to die. Give me more years, God. And he wept and he cried. And you know what God did for him? God gave him 15 more years. Wow. If you were to talk to Hezekiah today, he'd say that he was a blessed man. God was good to him. But what did Hezekiah do with that? Turn to 2 Chronicles. Chapter 32, in verse 31. 2 Chronicles, chapter 32, verse 31. Howbeit in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who went unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land. God left him. Why? Why did God leave him? To try him, that he might know all that was in his heart. Do you know what God does for us sometimes? He departs. He withdraws. He leaves. And we don't like it when we don't sense God, when we don't know God's presence. Although he's promised to be there, we don't sense his presence. Why? He says to try him. That's an interesting word. He's already a good king. He, he had done a lot of great things. He was on his deathbed. and God even gave him 15 more years. God's already been more than gracious to him. By the way, God's been more than gracious to you and I than we think. Oh, we are so blessed. 
We say, well, why would God leave me? Well, here it said this man was left to try him. That he might know all that was in his heart. That God might know all that is in his heart. Try him. This word try means to prove, to assay, assess, to put to proof or test. You know, sometimes God will do things in our lives for this very reason. To try us. Do we love him? Or do we love him for all his goodness to us? Do we love him because of all he gives us? Do we love him so that we benefit from him? You know, children, they're this way. They love, but they love for selfish reasons. But when they get a little older, and no longer are they, I guess, drew or persuaded through little gifts, it shows maturity when that child becomes more adult-like, when they love their mom and dad because they're mom and dad, not because of what mom and dad gives or what they get. They recognize the gift isn't important anymore. It's the relationship that's important. Sometimes we don't understand how much somebody's important until they're no longer around. What about God? Do you only love him when things are good? Do you only praise him when the money's coming in and your family's real comfortable? You serve him because of all the benefits of that relationship? He'll try you to see, do you love me? Remember that conversation the Lord had with his disciple? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, of course I love you. Getting a little frustrated. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Now, Lord, you asked me this three times. I've told you I love you. Gave him the same answer. Feed my sheep. What was the Lord trying to do? Try him. What was his heart like? I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Where's your heart? You only love God because things are good? You only serve God because things are comfortable? What about when God does something you don't like? What if his will doesn't match with your will? Still love him? Still going to serve him? Still going to praise him? Hey, sometimes God withdraws. And we wait, wait a minute. God said this. Yeah, but he withdraws. And it has everything to do with how we respond to him. Where's your personal relationship with Christ today? What's your relationship right now with God? Well, I love him. Somebody might not say it, but well, I'm mad at him. Uh, I'm disappointed in him. You realize who you're talking about, right? God help us to love him for who he is. What he's done. What he's going to do, but mostly for who he is. He is worthy. Let's bow our heads if we would today. This morning in this invitation, 
Why not cast all your care upon him? You know why? For he cares for you. You know he cares for you. Don't you doubt him because things are not just the way you want them to be. Don't you criticize him. Don't you question. Why would we even question when he's been so good to us? Come now and meet with God. John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Come to him for salvation. If you need to be saved, quit playing games. Get saved today. Come to him today. Bring your burdens that are so heavy upon your heart. He'll help you carry them. Maybe you're a Christian. Come to him for forgiveness of your thought life, your attitude, your disinterest. Come and ask him to be real to you. Don't worry about anybody else. I know sometimes young people struggle with this, but I know adults do too. They just seem to be so void of feeling anything. Ask him. Come and ask him. Bend the knee. Humble yourself. Bow the knee and ask God. God, show me my sins. Show me my needs. Show me that you're real. And he will come to you. He will show himself to you. But he's looking for you to come. He's tried you that he might know your heart. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I see you've spoken to so many hearts. Lord, do the work that needs to be done. You are the, you're the operator. You're the doctor. You're the conductor of this service. Dear Holy Spirit, speak to hearts. Lord, be with that one that's lost. Help them to be saved today. Be with that Christian that's so hard-hearted and indifferent. Draw them unto you, dear Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.